If you have a copy of God's Word, I want to invite you to join me in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John chapter 14. Over the last uh, number of weeks, we have been laying a foundation, as it were, for some of the things we're going to talk about later this spring and this summer with regards, especially with regards to discipleship, and we've used the term now several different times, the term relational discipleship. It's the idea of getting so connected with others in the body of Christ that you're intentionally pouring into them or allowing them to pour into you, or maybe both in, in many cases. God wants His people, His church, to be a place where we are relationally connected to one another and involved in such a way that we can, we can uh, intentionally build disciples, bring people into the kingdom of God, pour into them, say to them, essentially, follow me as I follow Christ, and then release them to make disciples as well. And so over the past few weeks, we've talked about several different uh, uh, underlying foundational principles when we, as we begin to think about relational discipleship. And so uh, during the month of February, we talked a lot about relationships, how important it is to develop godly relationships, and how important we are all to the body of Christ. Last week, Mike Dittman was here, and he talked about the importance of prayer. We are not going to be able to do anything for the Lord. We're not going to be able to accomplish anything that He wants for us as a church without prayer. And we'll have more to say about that uh, in, in weeks to come. But over the next three weeks, I want us to talk about the Holy Spirit. Because without God's Spirit and without His power, we're not able to accomplish anything for Him. Romans 8.13 tells us, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. That's what's at stake here. That's how essential the Holy Spirit is to our daily life. One former bishop of Durham, Handley C.G. Moole, who passed away in 1920, gave witness to the importance of the Spirit's work and person in our lives. He wrote this. He said, Never shall I forget the gain to my conscious faith and peace which came to my own soul. Not long after, a first decisive and appropriating view of the crucified Lord as the sinner's sacrifice of peace from a more intelligent and conscious hold upon the living and more gracious, most gracious personality of that Holy Spirit. It's through His mercy that the soul had got that blessed view. It was a new development of insight into the love of God. It was a new contact, as it were, with the inner eternal movements of redeeming goodness and power, a new discovery in divine resources. As we'll talk about over the next few weeks, the Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force. It's not some idea out there that has really no bearing on the nitty-gritty day-to-day lives that we live The Holy Spirit himself lives within each and every Christian, and that means something. If there's one thing that I want you to hear this morning, is that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior, God's Holy Spirit lives within you, and that is an utter game changer. I don't know about you, but 
it seemed like when you're a kid at Christmas time, that uh, my parents, anyways, um, were were best at giving me what I needed and not always what I wanted. My list, my Christmas list that I would proudly hand them, like mid September had a long list of things that I wanted, but in their mind, they were thinking about things that I needed. Those dreaded gifts, at least when you're younger, of socks and underwear and t-shirts. When you want the new Lego Death Star and you open up a pair of Hanes, it's hard to hide your disappointment. But as you get a little bit older, sometimes... What you need and what you want align. Imagine you're in your teenage years and your, your toes are, are pressing against the, 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 they're smushed in your shoes and you need desperately a brand new pair of basketball shoes for the upcoming season. And you've had your eye on a particular pair. You just, you just, you tried them on and it felt like you were walking on clouds and man, you know it would make you a better basketball player if you had this pair. And, and you desperately need something to wear this season, and you open them up, and you're so grateful. Your parents knew exactly what you wanted. It was what you wanted and something you desperately needed. Well, that's a poor illustration of of what God has given to us through the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit, when we're talking about God, we can't quantify it with, with earthly illustrations, but the Holy Spirit is, but what is both what we need and what we want. We need him because there is absolutely nothing that we can do for the kingdom of God without his power. We absolutely need him. But here's why we want him. We all long for a closeness with God. We all long, like, like Mike told us last week, to know that we're never alone And the gift of God's Spirit in our life is just that. It is the very real presence of God with you each and every moment. In John chapter 14, as you you probably know, this is the last evening that Jesus spends with his disciples. This is right before they have the Passover meal together. And he's sharing some very, very foundational, important teachings with them. And he tells them in verse 16, John 14, beginning in verse 16, he says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. Some of your translations will say comforter, to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Most of what we're going to think about this morning comes right from verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The first thing that I want us to see here is that the Spirit is a gift from God. God determined that He was going to leave part of Himself with us, and not just with us, but in us. 
This is a gift directly from God. You may have gotten some gifts in your lifetime that, that just absolutely thrilled you, that, that you still have not forgotten, even though it was many, many years ago. But I want to tell you right now that this gift from God beats any, anything anyone has ever given you here upon earth. This spiritual gift where God says, I'm going to leave you, not alone, but I'm going to put my spirit in, inside of you. In John 15, 26, in this same uh, uh, time of just intimacy that he's had with his disciples, in the same uh, talk, he says, that the, when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness to me. See, it's important to realize that, that God has given us his very own Spirit. This is not just a Spirit or some kind of um, ethereal power that's out there, but God has given us of himself. The Bible refers to the Holy Spirit as God. We talked a number of weeks ago about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three eternally God, three persons, one in essence, yet three beings. And the Holy Spirit that has been given to us is one of the members of the Trinity. He is not some mystical force or power. Any, any of my, uh, my fellow Star Wars fans out there, if you're watching the movie and you're looking for spiritual, biblical parallels, do not, do not tell yourself that when the, the movie talks about the force, that that's like the Holy Spirit. It's not. The Holy Spirit is a person. He's a being. And he has come to dwell within us. Scripture calls him God. Uh, just a couple of quick scriptures. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That passage brings together all three members of the Trinity. When Jesus gave the great commission in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, often uh, Holy, the Holy Spirit in our theology and in our practice, gets relegated to being kind of like the junior God, the junior deity. I don't know about you, but when I grew up, I heard more about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures than I did the Holy Spirit. In fact, I had one teacher at Bible college that when we came to the study of the Holy Spirit, he called him the Holy who? Because so often, he's on the back burner, we talk about God the Father. He comes through so much in the Old Testament. We talk about God the Son because there's four Gospels about His life and we celebrate even this morning His death on the cross and His resurrection. But Jesus said, I'm, as I leave, I'm going to send someone else who's going to testify about me. He's going to point to me. But He is going to be with you. And that is the Holy Spirit. And that is this great gift that you have from God. The second thing that I want you to see about the Holy Spirit is that he comes alongside us. Verse 16 calls him the helper. The parakletos is the Greek word. He's referred to that as well in verse 26. This, this word is a powerful word in the Greek New Testament because it, it pictures someone who comes alongside, who appears 
in another's behalf, an intercessor, a helper. There's no one word that really captures the essence of this word. One writer says that the characteristic function of the parakletos as advocate is most clearly expressed in chapter 15, verse 26, and again in chapter 16, verses 7 through 11. Both sayings stand in a context governed by the enmity and hostility of the world. And in this situation, the parakletos will bear witness to Jesus and thereby also making the disciples capable of witness. You see, remember, Jesus is coming to the disciples in a moment when there is fear and worry upon their heart. He's just told them that he's going to go back to the Father. The the verses that we celebrate at the beginning of chapter 14 about Jesus going to prepare a place for you, those are great words, and we we read them often at funeral times and, and, and in moments when we need to be reminded of our heavenly home. But I think that when the disciples first heard them, don't know if they had the same hope that you and I hear when we read them. And here's why. Thomas asked in verse 5, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus has just said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and you'll come be with me someday. And Thomas is like, wait a minute, where are you going? Why are you leaving us? Jesus had to say, wait a minute, let let not your hearts be troubled. Don't be overwhelmed with sorrow or grief or anxiety here. Because I am going to send someone to come alongside of you. He's also going to tell them that they're going to face difficult times. That they're going to be rejected. He says if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. But in that context, he says I've got something for you. Rather, someone. And he is going to be with you. He's your helper. Your advocate. Your comforter. You see, the Holy Spirit is all of those things. In our life, He walks with us in a very real and powerful way when we don't know what's going on, when we face fear and anxiety and worry, and as we'll talk about next week, when we need power for service. Finally, the Holy Spirit is with us forever. The Holy Spirit is with us forever. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, we're told, in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and you were made to drink of one spirit. He says, we were all given this spirit through the the baptism of the spirit. That's different than water baptism that we celebrate here and practice as a church. The Holy Spirit is not something you've got to go out and get. God says that he gives him to you when you trust Jesus as your Savior. And the words that Jesus uses in verse 16 remind us of the permanence of this gift. He says he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Forever. There is no moment where God's going to forsake you. There is no moment when you begin to be alone. God has promised the gift of His Holy Spirit will dwell within you. If you read this entire passage in chapter 14, 
In fact, in a span of 12 verses, Jesus uses the, the, the future tense will 20 times. He says, he will come. I will send. I will love. He will teach. There's a certainty that runs all the way throughout these verses that Jesus is saying, listen, he is going to be yours and he will be with you. He will be with you forever and ever and ever. Jesus made a promise in verse 18. He says, I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I've got to go back to the Father now, but I'm not leaving you alone. I will be with you. My brothers and sisters, this is not abstract theology that misses its mark of meeting us where we're at. The Scriptures tell us truth about God. In fact, the passage that we, we looked at in verse 17, the Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. And He's going to point us, it says, to whatever Jesus has taught us. And that's what we read in the Word of God. And, and, and God intends for these Scriptures to lay rest upon our hearts so that when we leave here, and when you walk out of here today, you'll all face the, the stuff of life. Some of you are, are still, still working, and you're going to get up in the morning and go to work. Some of you still have children in the home, and you're going to deal with all of the joys and sorrows that come with children in the home. Some of you, well, all of us have some bills to pay. Some of us are having a hard time right now. Maybe we're going to butt up against health issues, relational struggles, not to mention uh, issues within the body of Christ. We're going to face trials and temptations. And I want to tell you right now that the fact that you have the Holy Spirit of God living within you, it makes a difference. It means something when you get up in the morning and you struggle with the strength to go on. It means something when you have that, that fight with a family member and things are super tense and awkward. It means something when, when, you, when you're being persecuted for the cause of Christ. It means something when the temptation and the allure of sin is so powerful you feel like you can't say no. God lives within you. And that means something. The gift of God's Spirit impacts you on a very real day-to-day -day level. So, for example, when you're tempted to sin, you're reminded that you have the power within you because God is dwelling within you to turn from that sin and to run towards Christ. When you're feeling discouraged, and overwhelmed at the trials that have weighed you down. You have a very real and present God who says, come, take my yoke upon you. My burden is easy 
and it is light. When you're feeling fear and worry and anxiety, the Holy Spirit is there. Listen, this is the example that we see in this text. In verse 25, he says, These things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you. But the, Spirit, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I've said to you. Listen to what He says now. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Do not let them be afraid. The presence of God's Spirit in your life can give you peace. Do you have anxiety over something today? The disciples were worried about being left alone by Jesus. Do you fear the same thing? That God will leave you? Maybe you have other cares, other burdens. And he says, no, 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 no. Because my spirit lives within you, you don't have to be weighed down by those things. My peace I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Don't let them be afraid. In his book, Flying Closer to the Flame, Charles Swindoll writes these words. Some years ago, my phone rang in the middle of the day on a Friday. It was someone from our older daughter's school telling me that Carissa had been in an accident. She had been practicing a pyramid formation with her cheerleading squad when someone at the bottom slipped, causing the whole human pyramid to collapse. Carissa had been at the top and consequently, consequently fell the furthest, hitting the back of her head with a sharp jolt. Her legs and arms immediately went numb, and she was unable to move even her fingers. After notifying the paramedics, the school official had called me. My wife, Cynthia, was away at the time, so I raced to the school alone, not knowing what I'd find or how seriously our daughter had been injured. In route, I prayed aloud. I called out to the Lord like a child trapped in an empty well. I told him I would need him for several things, for his healing touch for my daughter, to give me strength, to provide skill and wisdom to the paramedics. Tears were near the surface, so I asked him to calm me, to restrain the growing sense of panic in my heart. As I drove and prayed, I sensed the most incredible realization of God's presence. It was almost eerie. The pulse that had been thumping in my throat returned to normal. When I reached the school parking lot, even the swirling red and blue lights atop the emergency vehicle didn't phase my sense of calm. I ran to where the crowd had gathered. By that time, the paramedics had Carissa wrapped tightly on a stretcher, her neck in a brace. I knelt beside her, kissed her on the forehead, and heard her say, I can't feel anything below my shoulders. Something snapped in my back just below my neck. She was blinking through tears. Normally, I would have been uh, borderline out of control, but I wasn't. Normally, I would have been shouting for the crowd to back away or for the ambulance driver to hurry and get her to the hospital. I didn't. 
With remarkable ease, I stroked the hair away from her eyes and whispered, I'm here with you, sweetheart, and so is our Lord. No matter what happens, we'll make it through this together. I love you, Carissa. Tears ran down the side of her face as she closed her eyes. Calmly, I stood and spoke with the emergency medical personnel. We agreed on which hospital she should go to and what route we would take. I, I followed in my car, again sensing the Spirit's profound and sovereign presence. Cynthia joined me at the hospital where we waited for x-rays and for the radiologist's report. We prayed and I told her of my encounter with the Spirit's wonderful presence. In a few hours, we learned that a vertebrae in Carissa's back had indeed been fractured. The doctors did not know how much damage had been done to the nerves as a result of the fall and the fracture. Neither did they know how long it would take for the numbness to subside or if, in fact, it ever would. The physicians were careful with their words, and I can still remember how grim both of them seemed. We had nothing tangible to rely on, nothing medical to count on, nothing emotional to lean on except the Spirit of God who had stayed with us through the entire ordeal. Sunday was just around the corner, it always is, and I was exhausted by Saturday night, but again, God's Spirit remained my stability. In human weakness and with enormous dependence, I preached on Sunday morning. The Lord gave me the words, and He proved His strength in my weakness. It's amazing. God, the Holy Spirit, filled me, took full control, gave great grace, calmed my fears, and ultimately brought wonderful healing to Carissa's back. Today, she is a happy, healthy wife and mother of two. And when I think back to that day, those moments, those days, I remember that very real awareness of the Spirit's presence. When we talk about the gift of God, the Holy Spirit who's come to dwell with us, it really does mean something that God is with us. This is not an empty promise that we can shrug off. This is not a, some of Jesus' words that were just thrown out there haphazardly. It's a very real promise that he would not leave you or I alone. This week, I want to challenge you to think about one thing with regards to God's Spirit. What difference does he make in my life? What difference does it make knowing that God Himself lives within me? Maybe it's going to be down the path of the sin that you've chosen to live in. And you think, wow, I've, I take God with me every time I do this. And He's going to convict your heart and draw you to repentance. Maybe it's a calming of fears and anxieties like it was for the disciples, knowing that God is right there with you. I don't know how God is going to speak to your heart, but I know that He will if you ask Him to show you the significance of God's Spirit in your life. And as you meditate on these scriptures, the knowledge that He is with you will bring new life to your faith in Him. Let's pray.
our Heavenly Father. We thank you for your good gifts. Everything you give is good. But this particular gift is outrageously and unexplainably gracious that you would commit to dwell within each and every one of your people has the power, this knowledge has the power to radically shift everything in our lives and in our church. God, we ask for a fresh awareness of your spirit in our midst and in our lives that we might know you in a fresh and powerful way and understand the significance of your presence that you are here with us always. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.